This morning we're going to interrupt Pastor Todd's uh, series of sermons on Romans. And if you uh, have not been following those, he uh, has just gotten into it uh, in the last few weeks. And uh, it's still in chapter one. So that will be continued next Lord's Day, Lord willing. But uh, since I am filling in, I didn't want to touch that. Um, so we're going to read something completely different, but it's the net book right after Romans, 1 Corinthians. So if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, some of you, most of you know that I grew up in this church. I just want to remind you of that, that I'm not somebody that just walked in off the street um, and uh, have been away for a long time. We've retired and moved back to Columbus and are living in the house I grew up in. Uh, as many of you would know, Billy and Emily's house and have been uh, fixing it up and getting settled in and we are just thoroughly enjoying it. And we have been thoroughly enjoying worshiping with you and with you who are watching uh, by way of uh, YouTube. Uh, so we want all of you to just know that uh, we are glad to be a part of this body and uh, to have a church uh, that is built on the Word of God that we can worship and serve the Lord in ourselves. Now we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. So watch carefully, listen carefully as the Word of God is read to us all. 1 Corinthians 10 at verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This ends the reading of God's word. Be to God. Let us pray. Now, Father, we ask you to instruct us and teach us in the way in which you would have us to go. Help us that we might not 
veer off to the left or the right, but that we would walk in the narrow way, the way that will lead us ultimately to eternal life with our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for the Holy Spirit now to apply the Word of God to our hearts and our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a word about uh, the reading that we just had of God's Word. I was reading from the English Standard Version, and I've noticed uh, through the years that there are apparently at least two uh, editions of the ESV where the translation varies just a little bit. I have no idea how that can be. One of my elders in my church that I was serving pointed that out to me. He said, I've, I've got the ESV, but what you read out of the ESV was a little different. Nothing major, so don't, you don't need to worry about that. Uh, but it, it's curious to me. I've thought about calling the publisher and asking about that, but I just never have done it. So if you saw a, a slight difference in what I read uh, with the Bible that you had, that may be the uh, explanation for it. But this passage, as you uh, heard and obviously can tell, is about temptation. Temptation is a subject that we don't hear about that much. We don't talk about it as Christians, it seems to me, that much. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Todd mentioned that the Christian life is not an easy life. If we are honest with ourselves, we would not only agree with that fact, but we would have to include as a part of that package of the Christian life not being an easy life, that a, a big part of that is temptation. In fact, I think it's such a big part that sometimes we are tempted to do things and we just react and we don't even realize what's happened. That we were tempted and we blew it. And I'm talking about those of us who are believers in Jesus. And so we have realistic news here, but we also have good news about dealing with temptation in our lives. The Bible addresses this rather uncomfortable subject in a number of places, but as we look at one place, we're going to see uh, a very helpful passage, I think, in 1 Corinthians 10 about dealing with this whole matter. There, there are two things I want us to notice here, and the first is this. All Christians, all Christians are going to experience temptations. And the first 12 verses we read really are telling us that. It doesn't matter who we are. Think about Old Testament Israel. Paul gave, gave, us, gave us an example here of some of the privileges that Israel had, God's old covenant people. He lists in verses 1 through 5 some of these wonderful privileges. They had guidance. Remember the pillar of the cloud? They had deliverance. Remember the crossing of the Red Sea and the exodus from uh, the bondage of slavery in Egypt that went along with that. They had spiritual nourishment. He gave them what they needed and 
He even mentions that this spiritual uh, uh, drink and spiritual food ultimately came from Christ. They were able to, to have everything they needed, in other words, to be faithful to the Lord at that point in the history of God's people. It's interesting that in spite of all of that, they failed. In spite of all the privileges, they failed. There were exceptions, of course, as Paul tells us, but for the most part, they did not take advantage of those spiritual privileges. And so he lists in verses 7 through 10 four ways that they failed. They failed by idolatry, verse 7. They failed by sexual immorality, verse 8. They failed by testing the Lord in verse 9. As one writer put it, pushing God to see how much they could get away with. You ever wonder what it means to test the Lord? That's probably a good way to think about it. Pushing God just to see what, how much they could get away with. I don't know what they expected would happen to them if they went one step too far. <laughs> but we have that tendency to do that. And then, of course, in verse 10, grumbling. Now, we grumble sometimes to other people out loud. <laughs> but I think a lot of times, just like the Old Testament uh, people of God, there was grumbling to God. And whether it's grumbling out loud or whether it's grumbling just in your spirit, God still hears it. God still knows our attitudes. And so there's not a very good track record here of uh, the people in the Old Covenant. And twice Paul says here in verses 6 and 11 that the Corinthians should have learned better from what they were taught in the Old Testament. All these things were written for you, he says. Now, I'm saying all this as sort of a lead up to the key verses that we're focusing on today. And that's the last two in the, in the passage that we've read, verses 12 and 13. Old Testament Israel experienced temptation. Believers throughout biblical history experienced temptation. Starting with our first parents. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, there was the temptation to sin against God, to break the covenant that God had made with them. And of course, they yielded to that. Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, and then she gave it to Adam and he ate. And just a few random examples, Abraham. Abraham, I'm sure, when he was about to offer Isaac on Mount Moriah, upon the command of the Lord, Isaac, the one who was promised that through him, the descendants of Abraham would be as the stars in the sky. And it just seemed like the most ridiculous, impossible to believe thing for Abraham to actually kill his son on an altar as a sacrifice with the knowledge that he, it was through Isaac that everything was supposed to continue. Abraham knew that God could raise the dead. Abraham was tempted. He was tempted. He would, he, we'll see in a minute, the word tempted means, can also mean tested. And he was tested. And he did not give in to the temptation to say, I'm not doing that. 
He did what God told him to do. And just before he actually did it, of course, God spared Isaac. And then you think about David. David was tempted, I'm sure, to sin in many ways, but we all know infamously how David gave in to temptation concerning Bathsheba. Daniel was tempted. Daniel was tempted to deny his God and worship the God of the Persians and either do that or face being thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel trusted God and God protected him from those lions. And Peter was tested, tempted, tested, slash. He was tested in his faith when three times people said, uh, you're that guy that, that's associated with Jesus, aren't you? Peter said, no, not me. So he failed when he was tempted at that point. And then you think of the believers in Acts. One, that's my last example here. You think of believers in Acts, how they were tempted to renounce Christ or be thrown in jail or worse, and they were faithful when tempted. Believers today also are tempted to sin. No matter how mature a Christian is, no matter how long a Christian has lived his Christian life or her Christian life, no matter how, how um, strong they may be, they're still going to be tempted to sin. In fact, the more a Christian grows in his faith, the more they're going to deal, have to deal with temptation. The Greek word for temptation, as I was hinting at a moment ago, can also be translated trial. And it's, it, it's something that, in, from my perspective, could go either way. God is testing us, and either we're going to be faithful when we're tested, or we're going to give in and see it as a temptation that we yield to. So we need to keep that in mind. In fact, I, I uh, like the way that uh, John Owen, uh, the Puritan, put it. He's very colorfully said, temptation is like a knife that may either cut the meat or the throat of a man. And you can use the knife to cut the meat you're going to eat, or you can use the knife to cut the throat of the man. And so he said that this may be his food, this temptation may be his food or his poison. Trial, temptation. It can be either his exercise or his destruction. Which way? Which way? Believers, however, will not all be tempted in the same way. It's, it's uh, the kind of thing that, that we're all in, in different phases of life. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, but each one of us is vulnerable in certain ways. And some of us are more vulnerable in a particular set of sins than others may be. What areas you struggle with will not necessarily be the areas of temptation that others struggle with. Or your friends or your neighbors struggle with. To be more specific, just think of some ways that 
Christians can be tempted to sin. Think in your own mind right now, what are some ways that I can be tempted to sin? Well, you know, there's the obvious ones like lying or cheating. But there's more subtle ones, too. Ones that uh, fly through our minds and we, we think about those and we think about the choices that we have in certain situations. Unholy speech. <coughs> yes, I, yes, I still have my cough. <coughs> Unholy speech. Have you noticed how much more common it is to hear blasphemous words, curse words, unholy words, spoken in public, uh, online, in any method that people can come up with? You seen how that's increased and becoming more and more common? Words that a few years ago would have been left out uh, and never never said, and now it's 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 so much different. People are just quickly giving into that, and being sinners, we tend to feed off that. Well, you know, everybody else is doing it. And the next thing we know, we're doing it. And we don't even stop to realize, I've, I've just yielded a temptation to speak in a way that's not pleasing to God, that's not true and holy and pure and good. It happens so easily. James 1, you may remember, talks about how sin makes progress in itself. Uh, and how it develops. Uh, you might want to turn there because it's a very key passage. Um, James chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> Excuse me, 13 through 15. 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Notice the responsibility there. It's not God's fault. It's the sinner's fault. His own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's sort of the... Uh, analysis or breakdown of how we move from temptation to actual sin. That, of course, is what took place with Adam and Eve. Eve began thinking about, you know, that fruit looks awfully good. I bet it tastes delicious. And, of course, the seeds of doubt had already been planted in her mind by the serpent, who was Satan in disguise, and she made the mistake of dwelling on that and thinking on that and considering doing that. And at some point, before she ate the fruit, at some point, she committed herself to doing it. And that's when she really sinned. 
She sinned when she made that decision. I'm going to reject what God uh, told me not to do, and I'm going to do it. And she acted on that. So James 1 is, is, this is a perfect example of what James 1 is telling us. Uh, a lot of you, I think, are familiar with uh, pastor and author John Piper uh, up in Minneapolis. This is a powerful little statement he makes. If you don't remember anything else I say, you may well want to remember this. It's two sentences, and it's especially the second sentence that really gets us. Sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be happier if I follow it. And then the second sentence. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. Isn't that true? The power of sin is the fact that we think in our still sinful nature, even as Christians, we still have sinful natures. We think when we're being tempted, that's going to make me happier than if I, be, if I obey God and I don't take part in that sin. We live in a culture that man's chief end is to make himself happy. That decisions are made, moral decisions are made on the basis of what's, gonna, what's in it for me? What's going to make me happier when the irony is God is the only one that will give you true happiness. And so we're deceived. That's one of the, the ways temptation works. It deceives us and we fall for it. Believers must remember, though, that there is a difference between being tempted to sin and sinning. You don't have to repent or confess for being tempted. But if you yield to the temptation and sin, then you do need to repent and confess. Our supreme example of this point is Christ, of course. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And so it's possible to be tempted, but not to give in to the temptation. And that's what we as Christians need to be shooting for. Jerry Bridges, a wonderful writer who died just a, a few years ago, someone I had the privilege of knowing, said, our minds are mental greenhouses where unlawful thoughts, once planted, are nurtured and watered before being transplanted into the real world of lawful actions. Do you follow that? Our minds are so critical when it comes to this thing about temptation. Tempting thoughts come into our minds. What are we going to do with them? Well, we can think about them and dwell on them. And if that's the case, we're nurturing and watering this mental greenhouse, as Jerry Bridges says. And he goes on to say, these actions that we end up taking if we sin are savored in the mind long before they are enjoyed in reality. The thought life, then, is the first line of defense in the battle for self-control. First line of defense is the thought life. Now that's going to be key to 
how we deal with this, and we're coming to that now. Think about how important it is, as verse 12 tells us, in this practical and hopeful reminder that we must constantly remember that we are not immune to temptations. That's what all of this lead up has been about, the first 12 verses. Nobody is immune to temptations, and sometimes Christians give in to it, and sometimes they don't. But we want, as Christians, to seriously work through how to avoid yielding to temptation so that we can be pleasing to God and we can truly find our joy in Him and not in what we think is best. But we sometimes forget that nobody's immune. And sometimes somebody will do something terrible and we'll go, how could she do that? Wow, I would never think of doing something like that. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Look, if we're really honest with ourselves, even as Christians, there's no sin that we have guaranteed immunity from. You may find that hard to believe, but the farther you go along in your Christian growth and maturity, the more I think you'll realize that. My heart is, it's, it's, it's like uh, dry gunpowder, as somebody put it, and anything can set it off. It's like that ammonia nitrate in Beirut, just sitting there. And the right circumstances and mix of things came together to create that unbelievable explosion. And so we need to be humble. We need to be humble because of what verse 12 tells us. Let anyone who thinks he stands, you know, that he's got it made, that he's above that temptation, let him, <coughs> Excuse me. Let him reconsider that. Because if he doesn't, he's going to fall. If you think you're, you stand, then you're setting yourself up for a fall. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, last verse there. I've been talking about how we're all vulnerable to temptations. But verse 13 reminds us that for all Christians, there is a remedy for temptations. Imagine being in, trapped in a building where there's a fire. I had been thinking about that illustration for a couple of weeks. And then Friday night, 9-11, this past week, I was watching History Channel, which had several shows about, uh, programs about uh, what happened on 9-11. And one hour of it was devoted to the Pentagon and the plane that crashed into the Pentagon. And there were eyewitness, firsthand accounts of people who were in the building or near the building when it happened. And so they were on this program telling us, describing for us what happened. And there was one lady who was trapped, smoke everywhere. She was able to get up and move around and start looking for a way to get out. And it was looking pretty bad for a while until she and a few people that started following her, she came to a, a door with a window. And of course, as you can imagine, it wasn't an ordinary window. 
It was reinforced. It had this, these built-in wires across them. <coughs> and they started banging on that window. They didn't know what else to do. They started throwing all kinds of things up. Thank you. Um, you don't mind if I drink while I preach, do you? There are some preachers that I think have done that. So there were all kinds of efforts made to break this, and it didn't look like it was going to happen. I mean, it was so fortified. But amazingly, miraculously, it popped out. Just about the time they were ready to give up, it popped out, and they were able to escape. And she lived to tell about it. Well, think about it that way. I'm in a terrible situation here. I'm being tempted, and it's serious, and I'm really thinking about it, and I don't see any way out. The only, the only way I know that I can handle this situation that I'm in is to give in to it. And as one person infamously once said, God is in the business of forgiveness. That's his job. And we take lightly our sin if we think that way. We, you know, we just think, okay, you know, I'll go ahead and do this and God will forgive me. It's not a real good approach to take, let me tell you. Uh, when you're thinking about this temptation to sin, the way out of temptation is ultimately not dependent on you, but it's dependent on God. You could never have on your own the strength and the ability, nor could I, to resist temptations. Look, the devil knows what buttons to push in your life. He knows your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses. He knows the patterns. He knows your history. He's not omniscient, but he knows a lot. And he's able to do like it, he did with Eve, to present something very attractive to us that really causes us to, to pause and think about it. Well, here's where we get off track. We get off track when we don't remember what verse th 13 tells us. Notice how he puts it. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That eliminates one series of excuses right there. You know, oh, I've, nobody's ever had to face a situation like I have. Therefore, it's okay to sin in this situation because I don't have any other options. There's no plan B. No. Look at what it says. You've, you're not going through anything that others haven't gone through. Not, you know, the exact details, of course, are different. The same basic principles are there. And here's the wonderful encouragement. God is faithful. Think about this in the, in the context of what we're talking about. Nothing's, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful in, in the literal order here, it's, it's the word faithful comes first. Faithful is God. 
And we all know that God is faithful, but I wonder sometimes if we are remembering that and applying it when we're really being tempted slash tested, because God may well be testing your faith to make you grow and get stronger and glorify him. And in his providence, he will provide, notice, the way of escape. Some translations say a way, but it's really the way of escape. It's what happened with Joseph. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife repeatedly, day after day, that he would sleep with her. And he kept saying, no, no, no. Right, that was the right response. But she probably figured, you know, in t over time, he's gonna give in. Every man gives in, eventually, under enough pressure. But finally, it got to a point to where he literally had to run. God provided a way of escape. He gave Joseph the ability to get out of there. Of course, he had to pay a big price for that. He got thrown in jail because she accused him of attacking her, falsely accused him. So there is going to be, there is going to be a way of escape, just like the lady at the Pentagon. Notice how Joseph's goal, though, when he was tempted, this is in Genesis 39, we won't turn to it, but just you may want to look at that later. He, he wasn't pragmatic when she was tempting him. He didn't say, no, I'll get in big trouble. He didn't say, no, uh, I don't really like you. <laughs> he didn't say, no, it'll, I'll feel so guilty. He didn't say any of that. He said, you, your husband is Potiphar, not me. Husband and wife are supposed to do these things, no one else but not with anyone else. And then he said, I would be sinning against God if I did that. Now that's a great way to put a screeching halt to your temptations. I would be sinning against God. Think of any of the Ten Commandments and in any of them, there are ways in which you could be tempted to break them, but you would be sinning against God. The fear of the Lord, in other words, should control our responses to our temptations. The fear of the Lord. Do we fear the Lord? Roger Ellsworth has this wonderful illustration of how God, God's faithfulness is, is described in terms of a hedge and a bridge. God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. He puts a hedge, a fence, if you will, around us and won't let us be tempted beyond that point, beyond a certain point. And you may be thinking when you're tempted, oh, no, he, I've done broken through that hedge. No, you don't give God enough credit. He knows what's best there. He is faithful. And then the bridge is he'll provide the way of escape. The hedge and the bridge, very simple. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Second Peter two, verse nine. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. The way out of, of temptation is this. 
while dependent ultimately on God, nevertheless, we are responsible for our actions, looking to God to deliver us. To strengthen ourselves daily is our responsibility so that by his blessing, we will not yield to the temptations of sin. Now, there's a number of ways that we can strengthen ourselves, but I want to mention, just mention three practices before we finish. The first, of course, is prayer. Prayer. When we pray daily, we should pray concerning our temptations. And of course, the God that Jesus gave us, the Lord's Prayer, we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. Take your hymnal, you're going to need it anyway shortly. Take your hymnal and turn in the back to the section that has the catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Pass the psalm readings and pass the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'm trying to find it too. I can't tell you what page it is, but it's the next to the last question, question 106. And that's on page 877 in your hymnal. What do we pray for in the sixth petition? The sixth petition is lead us not into temptation. In the sixth petition, which is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. That's it. We are praying that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin to, you know, the hedge, that he won't let us go too far in our situations. Or if we really are tempted, he will support and deliver us, keep us from yielding to that temptation. I think that's a very helpful thing for us to keep in mind. Pray about these things. You know your you know some of, at least, your weaknesses and vulnerabilities. You know, you even know sometimes when there are going to be situations that come up maybe that day where it's going to be a tough test of your faith. You, you, you may be having a meeting with someone at work that you really don't get along with very well. Y'all don't see eye to eye. And you're liable to lose your cool. You're going to be tempted, right? Pray for grace. Pray for God's faithfulness to help you. He is there to help us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our vulnerabilities. He, he realizes that. The second thing, in addition to prayer, is Scripture. No surprise there. Jesus used Scripture when he was tempted by the devil. And we need to know God's Word, too. You need to read and learn the Word of God. The better you do, you, the better, more equipped you're going to be to handle temptation because you can respond to temptations by thinking about what the Word of God says. This, it's really a, a wonderful lesson I've learned just in the last couple of years, though obviously I'm still having to work on this. But I've come to realize how this works, that tempting thoughts come into my mind and I can deal with those tempting thoughts by kicking them out and replacing them 
with other thoughts, turning my attention to good things. Scripture, the words from a great hymn. What did we just sing? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the sin within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Focus on truth. Paul said in Philippians 4, 8, whatever's good, whatever's lovely, whatever's pure, and so on. Think on these things. And the third one is busyness. Prayer, scripture, busyness. And what I mean by that is avoid idleness. Proverbs warns us repeatedly of this. And of course, we've all, we've all heard that saying, idleness is the devil's workshop. There's a reason that's a common saying. It's true. If we are just sitting around, not doing anything, we're more vulnerable. And that doesn't mean there's not a time to rest, but, but we have to be careful about those times and what might happen to us in such a situation. Sam Storms said, one of the most serious threats to the human spirit is boredom. Any of you ever been bored? Any of you ever been bored during COVID? Younger people tend to struggle with this a lot, but we all do to some degree. And he said this, this threat of boredom is the breeding ground for wickedness. He said, bored people are easy targets of the flesh and the devil. It is like putting a bullseye on your chest with a sign that says, tempt me, I'm easy. Unquote. What kind of temptation are you dealing with? Can you think of a time just this week, this past week, where you were tempted to respond in an ungodly, unholy, unloving way to your spouse or to a friend or coworker or a fellow church member? Where are you particularly vulnerable? You may not even realize it because you hadn't really given it that much thought before. I'm particularly vulnerable in this situation or with that person. Understand that you're not left alone. You're not left to fend for yourself in your own wisdom and in your own strength. God is faithful. He is faithful to you. And he knows what you're going through and he has a purpose in it. And that purpose, of course, is to turn that temptation into a trial that you will be faithful in. His faithfulness will be provided for your faithfulness. I'd conclude with this encouraging word from Roger Ellsworth again in writing on this passage. He said, these three words, God is faithful, ought to come as an encouragement to any Christian who is beleaguered by doubt, weariness, or discouragement? Does the Christian life seem to be too much for you? Think about this. God is faithful. 
Do the responsibilities seem to be too numerous and too great? Well, find shelter here. God is faithful. Does your growth in grace seem small? Take courage from this. God is faithful. Does your power to stand firm against sin seem meager? Take your stand on this truth. God is faithful. The Christian life becomes an intolerable burden when we fall into the trap of thinking it all depends on us. But it becomes a delightful journey when we live it in the consciousness of God's enabling power. Beloved, we are given everything we need. We are given God. We are given a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who dealt with our sin once and for all. We don't have to fear condemnation when our trust is in Him. Rather, we can turn to Him with our, the realities of what we're struggling with and say, Lord, manifest your faithfulness to me and deliver me from this temptation. And guess what? He will. He will. Let's pray. Oh Lord, truly our faith is tested more times than we sometimes realize on a day-to-day -day basis. But Lord, you're faithful. Great is your faithfulness. You will never deceive us. You will never force us in your providence to some situation that would mean that the only option is to sin. No, rather in your good providence, you will work everything together for good. You know how to deliver the godly from temptation. Help us, Lord, to apply this in our lives with increasing regularity and discipline. And we thank you that through the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross and his triumphant resurrection, we can make this prayer in hope for what you will do for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.